1: We are trying to get more folks to subscribe directly to the Pretty Much Pop podcast and not just listen to this on the Partially Examined Life feed. So the version that is there right now includes our normally supporter-only after talk, which is always a fun time. You can find that feed by searching Apple Podcasts or wherever for Pretty Much Pop or following links at prettymuchpop.com. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast also for little cuties grappling with issues of community and maturity. Today we're talking about Reservation Dogs, the dramedy about indigenous teens created by Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi that premiered in 2021, just wrapped up its third and final season. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, hoping for a spirit guide, but some catfish would be fine, I guess. I'm Al Baker,
2: of extremely consistent quality, but wildly varying tone
0: I'm Sarah Lynn Bruck, on the mend after consuming too many stolen bags of Flaming Flamers hot chips.
3: I'm Lawrence Ware, and I'm from Oklahoma, which is where this show is from.
1: Have you been on this kind of reservation? I was just listening to an interview with Sterling Harjo, who grew up in Oklahoma, still lives in Oklahoma, and says there are, what, you know, a dozen tribes within, you know, spinning distance of Oklahoma City. They're not all considered reservations, but it's to the point of different languages on the street signs.
3: Yes, I have been in a place very similar to this. My family owns land in a place very similar to this, the Choctaw Nation. It's a big land area. It's not exactly like in a concentric area like this one is. As people who are longtime listeners of the podcast know, I am a native. And so, yeah, I know a lot about this kind of stuff.
1: Well, all right. Wonderful show, obviously, and groundbreaking. Good show,
3: thumbs up. That in, mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, groundbreaking yes. in
1: in many ways. But who wants to start with something?
3: It seems like Al has disparaging things to say, so we should <laughs> probably hear from him relatively here soon. But go ahead, Sarah.
2: No, no, no. I think I wanted to hear what Sarah Lynn has to say because she's been talking about this show for ages.
0: I have been. I love the show so much. I I did kind of wanted to maybe start with that sense of place that the show gives us and how it it sort of just drops us the viewer in without any context or anything like that other than what you may or may not know ahead of time about these communities i just wanted to hear what you guys had to say you know about the sense of place and how that really added to the whole feel of the of the show
2: the show feels incredibly rooted in a particular reality. And that's one of the things that strikes me most about it is it's really, it's obviously, there's not a community. Well, maybe, maybe not, obviously, but I don't happen to know any Native Americans. There aren't a lot of them in Yorkshire. So this is a culture that I know, I know extremely little about uh, and I'm extremely unfamiliar with. But watching the show, it feels so grounded and consistent in its attitudes to native American culture. And it feels incredibly real. It feels like a really consistent perspective, their own culture and on like America and on like ideas about community and family and, and all the rest of it, which is remarkable given how, how unfamiliar I am with it, how easy it was to kind of adopt the perspective of the show, because it came from such a clearly rooted, grounded and real place it was able to keep a very, very solid understanding of what it was trying to say about that Native American community.
0: Where it was set was where it was filmed. That really seemed to give it just that sense of place. The fact that it wasn't on a big soundstage, it wasn't filmed on a soundstage, or it wasn't saying it was Oklahoma when it was really Atlanta or Vancouver or something like that. It really, to me, added to what the story was, you know, it felt like that was kind of like the fifth friend was the, you know, kind of like sex in the city, you know, the, the fifth character, the fourth character was New York city. It felt like this was just as much a part of the show as all of the main characters.
1: The way you phrased your question the sense of place, like, I feel like it should be, or I should have sensed it as a, you know, a love story to the land or something like that. And I really didn't get that because the characters Were such big presences, were so overwhelming, and most of the time they spend is like on a few kind of dingy streets, and like they do go out in the forest sometimes, and that's a, a big thing. But it's not like this is a cinematically shot show in particular. I don't know. At least that's you know the the characters and the music even much more overwhelm. And I think I feel like when I think of what the environments are here, I think of bears bedroom filled with all this crap and then Alora's bedroom which is the people looking through each other's windows into their bedrooms like specifically and these community center sitting around locations not so much
3: the wide open vistas it does a good job of capturing what oklahoma is like oklahoma does have beautiful landscape and whatnot but the show's not really interested in that the show's interested in the people more often but it does do a good job of like situating you in a certain time and place. And I think it does a really good job of that. However, I don't know. I, I don't have a strong relationship to like the land of that. Sh- I-, I don't think they care much about the land necessarily. They care more about the characters as, as Mark has already said, but it does do a good job of like situating you in a particular like cultural time, uh, a cultural kind of milieu. But I don't get that much about the land, Sarah. I just don't. I don't get much about the land. But I I definitely get a lot about the culture, though.
0: I wonder if maybe the culture and the land are so intertwined that, at least for me, the stories that I was seeing, you know, it was something at first for them to want to leave, right? It was something that they didn't want to have anything to do with. And then throughout the course of the series— it was something for them to come back to and it became, it was their home, you know, and right. home, Definitely. It, home is what your home is. It looks different for everybody. It doesn't make it any less important or any less, um, something that's, that's going to be like a magnet for you to come back to. It's very hard to leave your home when you're young. I, I loved this story as a, you know, as a coming of age story of all four of these teenagers. Gosh, I mean, even though, you know, like, you know, as a white person who grew up in California, like, I can't really speak to how real it was, you know, the show was, but I was a teenager at some point, you know, I was somebody who had friends. I had my own community. I had aunties and uncles and extended family who were and weren't related. And I don't know. I just thought it was such a beautiful depiction of, of that age. It was something that even though there was stuff about it that I don't relate to, that most of it I actually felt like I did.
1: The way, as you say, they just, they just throw you in. And like some of the first characters you see are the twin little people, bike riding rappers, which like
3: what an intersection that is. (laughs) Like how rare to find let me say though that is very true to that culture believe it or not people who are like hip-hop and very cool and whatnot but still like very different like that is true to life
1: well and the, the combination of being oh, I'm a we're badass rappers but we're riding around seemingly aimlessly on our our huffies or you know on our little bikes up and down the street you know and and by the end then, then you're like All the characters are just so endearing. But again, like the people at the junkyard, they're introduced as this criminal element. In fact, I think the whole beginning of the show, because they want to give the character somewhere to grow, is misdirection. Is like, oh, this is going to be like a Quentin Tarantino thing, given the name, and ooh, they're in a gang. But it seems like that dissolves. Maybe it's just been a while since I saw the first season, but it seems like that kind of gets out of the air pretty quickly, and that's not what most of the show is about at all.
0: No. I mean, even in that first, I did a rewatch of the first episode right before I watched the final episode, and I liked seeing some of the parallels, like that whole drone shot. You know, at the beginning of the last episode, they had something very similar at the beginning of the first episode. But even still, like those characters, all four of those characters are trying to steal a truck. You know, they're trying; they're engaged in criminal activity. Yet at the same time, Bear is telling Alora to put our seatbelt on. You know, there's still like these good kids who are just doing bad things. And who doesn't know kids like that? You know, like when you were in in school, like I always knew kids who grew up to be just fine, who did some bad things when they were little. And who knows, maybe I did a few bad things too. That might have been me me
3: once upon (laughs) a time. I absolutely was that guy. Honestly, (laughs) the story, what's really unique about the story is just that Native Americans very rarely get to tell stories about their culture. But this is honestly just a coming-of-age tale. It really is. It's just what's so unique about it is that it's situated in a culture that oftentimes is marginalized in the storytelling kind of populace. It's very clever, it's very well-made, it's very well-situated, a well-written Acted pretty good. I mean, I got some issues with some of the acting, but it's acted pretty good. What's so unique about it is that it's coming from a culture that is oftentimes just not represented.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the casting and the characters. I mean, I think the the four main kids are just so good, and they're so cute, and there's just, just you just could watch these them all day. And and the the dialect that they're using that apparently that's just how they t- like. That these people are not putting on this; they're from this community. And this is just, according to the creator, more or less the way they speak. Nobody's putting on an accent. There's no British guy that's smuggled, as in the case with too many shows these days.
0: Aren't three of the leads from Canada? And one cheese is originally from that area. But yeah, I mean, I think that they actually did quite an extensive search for this casting, which... I don't know, actually, for me, I think that's really exciting that they made it look like these are kids that are just plucked from that area. That's how how well done this show is. But no, they had to cast it just like any other show.
1: Is it with the various minor characters that some of them are so naturalistic that it just look does seem like maybe they picked people that just lived in the area to like, oh, do you want to be a grandma on this thing? Or do you feel like... Yeah. I thought a huge amount
2: of the secondary characters just looked like people that they found while they were definitely, while they were forming, definitely. which I really uh, I really loved. Even I mean, maybe it did genuinely seem like those midget twins on bikes had just been like cycling <laughs> around, around. There for yeah, for years. <laughs> but the characters are amazing. I think it's really interesting, Sarah Lim. I want to get back to something that you said right at the beginning, which is that this show is so much about place. But the first kind of story element that we get introduced to. Is the idea that they want to leave. And the first two series, the whole show, right, is about them trying to get away and like what happens when they do. It kind of interspersed with really deep and sensitive portrayals of elements of the community that they're going to be leaving behind. Who here is from? Because we don't, we do have this phenomenon, but it's very, it's it's an extremely American phenomenon. The idea of needing to leave the shitty place that you've grown up in to kind of get somewhere else, and it's not California for everyone in the show. Because there's that excellent episode with the parents where they go to the conference, and one of them's talking That's about New right. York.
3: That's right.
2: That um, <laughs> everyone wants to like get away or has an excuse for not wanting to leave. Is anyone here from? like somewhere where they thought that they just had to get away from. How does this show resonate with that? Do you all love your hometowns?
0: Because I'm from California and California is basically full of people who escaped (laughs) their hometowns to go and live. And the fact that I grew up there and actually left eventually, mostly because I couldn't afford it, is kind of an anomaly. But my dad's side of the family lived. There were certain parallels I could see from my dad's side of the family who lived in Arkansas, they're deep in poverty and during and they were in basically the Dust Bowl. And during that time, they fled because otherwise they would starve. And they moved out to California for the great opportunity of picking fruit <laughs> and working as maids in people's homes. But that was a great opportunity for them. And it was really, really difficult for them to leave. And I don't think my grandmother Thought of California as her home, even though she lived there eventually for most of her life, she always thought of Arkansas as her home. And I could really see in this show how difficult it was for all four of them trying to navigate their relationship with where they grew up, with who they saw themselves as, as emerging adults. That's something that really, really resonated with me. And I could see those parallels between. My white family and my family ended up, you know, they didn't stay in poverty for long, you know, and moving to California ended up being a very good move for them. But I understand those ties that many people have to those communities because this was a place in this show, they were rich in community. They may not have been in rich in other things, but they were very, very rich in community.
1: Right, of course, that's the whole arc of the, the moral is you had the power all along. The, the end of the rainbow is in your own hometown. The, it seems like they said that almost literally that enough times that it should have struck me as cheesy and it never did. So I feel like that is a real accomplishment. <laughs> so death is very prevalent in the show. The whole thing is founded on this trauma of a death by suicide that, you know, is very skillfully worked up to actually showing what happened. Yeah, what did you guys make of the, uh, certainly, it, again, sort of the beginning and the end of the show, and several times in the middle, you know, the grandmother funeral. There, there were multiple funerals going on.
2: Clearly, they're trying to get across, and successfully, that, like, death and tragic death and suicide is just an integral part of the reality of these communities. I think that the way they went through it, all it was like there was trauma there but it was all very everybody had plenty to go around none of it was surprising it was a part of the really interesting perspective of the show on the community that it was talking about because there was so because it did show that there was so much to love about it but didn't flinch away from the fact that this is a place of where terrible things happen to people who don't deserve it and people are often miserable and people die too young and it manages to hold that intention with the affection it has for the place and the community and the the sensitivity it shows as well. That kind of nuance, that particular kind of irreverence is something that you could only get when a show or a a piece of art is made as clearly from the perspective of the people who the story is about, right? That's the kind of tone and that's the kind of thing that you can get when people do get to tell their own stories in as complete a way as this. Because I don't think I've ever seen anything about Native American culture, at least, which is irreverent in that kind of way. I think the tone is a real groundbreaking thing here, because it's not all miserable and it's not all brilliant. And it's not just one and then the other, the two affect one another. Again, ground it in a really impressive sense of reality.
1: Yeah, you'd mentioned, Al, wanting to talk about this as the Taika Waititi vibe, you know, that this is a fundamentally new type of humor yeah. that seems is, to be have thing. been added to the culture and is now he's doing many projects so this uh, sort of cringe wacky but generally very endearing i was watching this like as a taika Waititi
2: production but i don't feel like it is really a taika watiti but pro- i think taika Waititi's big contribution seems to be like having got it made in the first place and like clearly choosing or hiring some very talented people to be involved. But it doesn't feel like his sense of humor is running through the show or his like creative direction is, is running through it particularly, which I think is great because he's not Native American, right? He's a native from elsewhere in the world. So probably best that way.
3: I felt Taika Waititi's fingers on the show much heavier in the first season. But then it really fell off season, the latter seasons. But even then, it wasn't overwhelming, but you felt a little bit of the sprinklings of him. But one of the things, so to go back to what you were talking about, about Mark. one of the things, the show is not preachy about the things that have been done to Native Americans to put them in the positions that they are in. But if you know a little bit about that, you see it everywhere. You see the ramifications of, just there being a reservation. And you see the ramifications of the education system being underfunded. The misery is the misery that is born of their interactions with white people. Like that's the reason why they're miserable. Um, but the show's not preachy about that. It doesn't get on a soapbox and say, This is the reason why we're gonna have a very special episode and talk about these kinds of things. It's there in the background. Sometimes it steps forward, but then it steps back. Like, it's there, weaved throughout the entire narrative, but I could easily see a person just watching the show and be like, yo, the reservation, that life kind of sucks. I wonder why, right? You know, so I can see how the show kind of does that. It doesn't really step out and say a lot about it, but if you do a little bit of digging, it's right there. And so I think that's how the show kind of deals with death, because you're right that the show is very clear that a lot of these people are miserable, And so sometimes it leads to people taking their own lives. These kids are miserable. They want to get out of there. And that's like the driving force about them trying to leave, but it being so hard to leave.
0: I like that the show trusts the viewer to be able to catch themselves up if they want, if they need to. And so, yes, there's a lot of death, but you can also start making the connections that, oh, Maybe there's a problem here with resources. There's a problem here with mental health. There's a problem here with seeking that help. So with these communities who have a lack of resources, we're able to kind of connect those dots on our own. And I love that the show forces us to do that. I think that's far more effective actually than coming right out and giving us that very special episode kind of feel. We don't need that. And it's far more powerful that they don't do that.
1: Right, there's no character in current time of the show who like becomes an
3: addict. I don't want to say soap opera things, but but you know it it definitely could have been much more. Uh, That's exactly how it would have been handled in another time. Like you know, you go back ten, twenty years ago, you have a Native American character. That is going to be an alcoholic. He's going to be dealing with domestic abuse, all that kind of stuff, and like in a very soap opera kind of way. Now that is a little bit of what's happening in the show in the background. So some of the characters are dealing with like diabetes and there's like a link between resources and diabetes and why native Americans have diabetes. Same thing going on with black folks, right? In the background, there are characters who they're not drunks, but like you can tell something's going on. Right. But it's in the background in an older time. The main character would be one Native American character, he would have been a drunk and a diabetic and a drug user, and he would have been dealing with domestic abuse at home. Like So I'm happy that the show just allows it to be in the background, to be like a real slice of life kind of story, as opposed to jumping out and making it a big deal in the forefront.
1: I mean, it's a pretty pro pot.
3: It is. It is absolutely. (laughs) I mean, but I'm pro pot. I'm pro pot. So that's fine. I have
0: no problem.
1: Sometime we'll do a we'll do a marijuana culture show. But, you know, it wasn't about this, of course.
0: But a good example of that, which you're talking about, Lawrence, is Willie Jack's aunt, you know, Daniel's mother who's in jail. And the fact that she's in jail, that is not her whole identity. That is not how we understand this character. She just happens to be in jail. But the conversations that she has, those two beautiful conversations that she has with Willie Jack and really helping Willie Jack and how Willie Jack perceives her aunt as someone who is healing. I think that that is actually a pretty revolutionary way to view these characters. Let's
1: stop for various messages. There's a great podcast from Consequence Media, The Opus. Great music shapes lives, shakes rafters, and embeds itself into our culture. Join host Adam Unzi as he examines how masterpieces continue to evolve. Maybe you're a longtime fan who wants to go deeper. Maybe you're a first time listener curious to hear more. They cover albums like Allison Chain's Dirt, Billy Joel's The Stranger, The Fugees, The Score, Cypress Hill's self-titled record, Whitney Houston's Whitney Houston, and Janice Joplin's Pearl. Listen to The Opus wherever you get your podcasts. The spirit guy, I mean, speaking of that character, you have a few people who see the spirits. I think when I put on Facebook, I was maybe thinking maybe we would need another guest and somebody immediately chimed in who has, you know, native ancestry and was like, well, the spirit that the guy talks to in the first thing is just a cliche Indian symbol, which I think was the point, you know, that it's not like this kid is having fantasies that are historically accurate, you know, but, you know, it was not even from an area that was around there. Which I decided, like, I don't know if that kind of critique, it doesn't help me enjoy the show. <laughs> you know, I feel like it has enough of a pedigree that I'm not going to care if they're, I will say that anything like that must be an artistic choice. But yeah, what do we think about this? Whole, you know, let's use in particular this comical spirit to actually deliver like straight on good advice.
0: Well, he's hilarious. I mean, that's part of the show is that it's hilarious. This show is so funny. You know, it's, it does deal with some very, very dark subject matter, but it is hilarious. And the spirit is hilarious. I do love that he mixes up these really interesting messages with just being this bumbling guy. <laughs> right. I mean, I,
3: I'll say this. There's a documentary called Real Engine, R-E-E-L-I-N-J-U-N, Real Engine. And that documentary does a really good job of laying out the history of how Hollywood has used Native Americans. And one of the things that it talks about is the way that that white people talk about spirit animals and the way that white people talk about wanting to be, like, have a Native American name and Native American, like, stuff going on with them. And growing up here, the elders oftentimes had relationships with the spirits, but us young people were looking at them like what the fuck are you talking about? Like what are you talking about? We we don't believe that kind of stuff. Like that's not something that is like it's in the culture, but we don't genuinely believe it. It's like being raised in a Christian household and your grandparents love Jesus and all that kind of stuff and you're young and you're like quasi atheist and you kind of don't believe it but you go along with it cuz it's your culture. That's how the native Americans are. And so what I read that as a like a contemporary read of how Native American culture is oftentimes represented like Native American culture is oftentimes represented as everyone believes that stuff is real. Everyone believes that stuff is, you know, genuinely what's going on. And the makers of the show, like they put it in because it's part of the culture, but they poke fun at it because we also don't take it very seriously. And so it pays homage to the elders while also kind of winking at the younger folks. And I love that. I think that's a really, really smart way to kind of handle a character like that because the show is kind of playing with magical realism. And so it drops in stuff like that. But in the real world, it really doesn't have much to say about that. Like the spirit character gives them good advice, but they have to make their own decisions. And so I think that's a good way to kind of kind of handle that.
1: Yeah, I like the treatment of of Bigfoot where somebody points out like, This is not even the right part of the country for Bigfoot. Why would there be Bigfoot here? But yet, there's such like a conspiracy theory culture among some of the characters that like, oh, of course there's Bigfoot, you know, and then the magical realism part like, oh yeah, there's whole Bigfoot families. They're just right, you know, just to add a little comic magical thing that doesn't actually disrupt the plot in any way.
2: The sense I got from the the magical realist elements was that it was their way of showing the absurdity of some of those elements was... It was a particular kind of irreverence that they were showing towards their own culture, and and I think probably due to the fact that the show is centred around teenagers. We're getting a kind of relatively sophisticated teenage perspective on Native American culture that they would have grown up in. But I also thought that that the way they used that was an interesting way of showing how the mythology and the religious elements of, of Native American culture are present throughout the community Whether you you personally believe in them or not, they shape the place that you live so that it all impacts you in one way or another. It seems like like, the way they use the dear lady in particular seems to be, whether it's real in the reality of the show or not, it's an important
1: part of what's happening. So that was the closest to a very special episode is we're going to flash back and show what it was like in one of these orphanages where people were taken away from their families and forced to not speak their native tongue and things. So that was just much more blatant let's actually show you some of the history uh i mean i guess this is part of the general what you guys thought of the way that season three went in just like ted lasso we're gonna focus on a wider array of characters if you just want to know how the four teens were dealing with the death of their friend well they've sort of gotten to the the end of that by the end of season two so as in season three we're going to just open things up and have it all about the parents. We're going to have a flashback to the 70s. I love that episode. And this heartbreaking one about the orphanage.
0: That was heartbreaking. And I liked the whole thread with Dear Lady throughout the series. I didn't feel that one was preachy though. I just felt like we needed, we were getting into a glimpse into her backstory and why she's making these appearances and her relationship to um, Officer Big and kind of how she shaped some of these characters in the community i learning about her background i thought was actually a really important piece to the series
2: yeah they definitely earned the right to that brutality so in when the episode opened my joke was about wildly varying tone and we've we've covered all of the reasons why that is like as mark said they spend the first couple of episodes saying look at all these wacky characters and then they drop you into a suicide like slap mammon towards the end of the the series so it, I felt like lurched around quite a bit by the show, but it didn't feel unearned. It just felt really brutal when they did pull you in the, in, in the dark direction because everything was fine a minute ago.
1: Well, and you pretty much binged the whole, all the part of it that you watched, right, in the last few weeks? Or had you been watching this all
2: Yeah, along? I didn't get like the last four episodes or something. I didn't manage to get a
3: hold of in time. But yeah, I watched
2: most of it over the last week.
3: That's an interesting approach to that i I imagine that watching it like that it would be pretty brutal because when you go week to week you kind of get a reprieve from it so like you'll get a heavy episode and then the next episode will be lighthearted, and so it won't be it won't be that heavy because death is such a theme death is like a best friend that's hanging out just outside of the frame with this show like death is really there and the desperation is there as well
2: I think that's right. Don't watch it like I did, because another thing about the show, another big theme of the show is like boredom and tedium and the absurdity associated with being in a place where there is literally nothing to do. So the pacing between episodes is weird because every single episode is like nothing is happening and then something happens and then nothing is happening again. So you have these two stretches of nothing happening if you're binge watching them. Save your feelings.
1: (laughs) Did you feel like with this plot diaspora that there should have been more of like the rival gang, pretty interesting characters? Like I could have spent more time with them. I think the show went in a better direction. I like the fact that by the end of the
2: first season, definitely by the second, it felt like every episode was a self-contained story more or less. And sometimes it was moving on the main plot a bit, but usually we got to know a particular character really well. And we got to like see an element of the community we got to make like some point or another and one of the characters got to have like a good little story moment. And I really liked that by the end of the first season, there didn't seem to be much of a like through line other than vaguely let's get to California sometime. I really like the episodic storytelling.
1: The Mark Marin one, was that in the third season too? That was yeah. the second, that was season. second season. Okay, so yeah, even by this point, it was we're going to show these different theaters of action, possible experiences one could go through Connected with the community, but not you know, not completely a part of it.
0: That episode, the cheese episode, and how he ended up with the woman that he was nice to at the beginning of the the older woman that he was nice to from the first season, and now she became kind of his grandma. Was lovely.
1: We should just say it's in a, it's in a halfway house, right? For kids, or a, a, it's set
0: in a halfway house. Yeah, that he was sent to. Yeah, it's awful and Mark Maron's character is he's never forcing been all of these yes. like
3: yeah he was his
0: recovery language onto these kids who <laughs> don't
1: know what he's talking about a bunch of the guest stars like this is the best i feel like i've seen a bunch of ethan hawk in the last decade and this was the best thing that he had done being one of the characters fathers who was introduced oh. at the end oh, yeah. of a particular episode the near the end of the show
0: and Graham Greene, oh, he was so good. Who sees Star People?
3: I honestly think that, that people loved this show so much that they were coming on to take those little kind of bit roles. Like I think they just really, really enjoyed it and they just wanted to kind of to, to join in any way. It's very similar to what I saw with Top Boy and a character that was on that show. Like, it's just if a person really loves the show, they'll come on for a bit part. Because they just want to be a part of the creative experience and they get to see that stories that are oftentimes not being told, they're helping to, you know, tell that
0: story.
1: Did you like the Bill Burr one or was that one a little too, <laughs> too much as the driving instructor As the, the, uh,
0: <laughs> I thought it was, I thought that was fine. It was I'm okay. Really like,
1: I really like that.
3: I mean, I guess it was Walt kind of... just chewed the scenery off those great fun. <laughs> right. He, he did, really yes. did. I honestly didn't know that he could be that good of an actor. Legitimately. You don't like, see Glow. No, I never. Oh, he is in Glow. I forgot about that. You're right. He is good in that show. That's right. R.I.P. Glow. I'm sad that sh- that show ended, by the I way. I
0: know. It did. It wasn't. It was not treated very fairly. It needed one more season. Just one more season to wrap up the story. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I wanted to hear your thoughts on the third season because it was so different. It did end up, you know, kind of extending its reach to all of these other members of the community and, and making connections, I thought, between all of the aunties and the uncles and the elders to the kids and I wondered, Al, you had said before at the beginning that you thought it was a little disjointed or what did, What were your thoughts about it?
2: No, I thought it developed from kind of one thing into another, not in a particularly jarring way, that just the, the first death and a couple of the more harrowing moments were just because of the lighter tone of the show kind of hit really hard but no, I don't think it was jarring in particular. I do think it changed the kind of show that it was through the course of the first season though.
0: Okay.
3: I... Did not love the third season. Loved the first two seasons. The third season, I really didn't like what they were doing. I thought that the Dear Lady episode was a standout. It was astoundingly good. It didn't really do what it wanted to do. It tried. And I appreciated trying because I always appreciate the show trying to do what it's doing. And the third season kind of left me wanting it to do something else. What do you wish
0: that they had done differently
3: i don't know i mean i like the dear lady episode i just wish that they had kind of continued doing in the third season what they had done the first two seasons um and maybe that's me being a simplistic consumer of media and maybe i'm not allowing a a filmmaker or showrunner to kind of take a show in its own direction maybe that's what's going on
1: yeah just i'm looking over the episode list because i i watch most of season two and three in a fairly continuous lump over the last month or so. And so, yeah, some of the things of the aunties going out, you know, this diaspora of plot was already happening right in the second season, you know, as if this was something that was necessary. If it wasn't going to be just like, I don't know, welcome back, Cotter, where we were going to just focus on just those kids and their wacky adventures. Like if they were going to do realistic things, They're going to be going off in different directions. And then the the further choice to let's focus on the characters that they've been interacting with, which a number of them, you could have a whole show around Big the Cop.
0: (laughs) I would (laughs) would watch that see. (laughs) Yeah, let's have a (laughs) spinoff. I would love to see the group from the 70s. I would love to see a show that that's about them. Laura's mom dying in that car wreck was so... (sighs) heartbreaking and just seemed so so unnecessary but she was young but i would love to see you know go back into that world and take a look at all the drama that's happening between all those folks because they were interesting the elders were just i just loved them especially in that last episode seeing them all together
1: for some reason i'm a sucker for any of like oh here's the young versions of the same characters that you've seen old or whatever like that just the fact that they have to cast it and i'm trying to You know, like the the show Dark that was all about. It was a time travel show where there's like three different versions of every character. Just even try to keep straight. Well, who's, wait, is that that person? Who's, (laughs) because I don't remember clearly enough, just like the names of the characters. So that just calling the young person by the old character's name is going to immediately make me focus on this. So Lawrence, did you feel like that 70s flashback episode, that that was just kind
3: of a distraction? I enjoyed it. One of the best parts of the show is the old people, is the background characters. Like, that really made the show feel really homely. The 70s episode, it was fine. I just wish that they had drilled down and spent more time with the characters we grew to love and the actors that we grew to love.
0: Well, I wonder if it's just that all four of them came together at the end of the second season. And when they all finally returned to Oklahoma they have to kind of each individually reconcile with the fact that they're becoming adults and they're all having to make their own choices and they're all having to respect each other's choices, whether it's to stay and serve the community or go to school or find a job, take a gap year. They need to figure it out, but also understand that that doesn't mean that they're not friends anymore, which I don't think that those characters would have said that. In the first season, I think it did serve their arcs at the end.
1: Was it maybe too tidy that not only are we going to get the old people together and, you know, with the mentally ill alien seeing one who's been brought back by a spirit intervention with them and the main gang and the rival gang are now all best buddies. I don't know. Did that seem earned or was that like we're just trying to wrap things up a little too tidily? I was cool with it. I guess we're spoiling the crap out of everything.
3: (laughs) I mean, yeah, we are. It felt a little tidy. I do not want Sarah to get mad at me because she will come to Oklahoma and she will beat me up. Or she'll cough on me and give me COVID, something. I don't know. (laughs) I don't want that to happen. But for me, it was fine. I just don't think that that's, that's not how life is. That's not how life is. I enjoyed it, but I didn't believe it.
1: Well, yeah, I guess that's partly why I was like, I don't understand the rival gang characters well enough. White Steve being what a particularly funny,
3: <laughs> just calling
1: him that and that, that actor. That's what
3: we would call him. That's what you would call it, yeah. him like that. That's what you would do. You would call him like Steve.
1: <laughs> and the fact that it was him and the sort of leader, the woman who has got some character development. And then the other two guys, I just didn't even know who they were by the end. Like, I still didn't, don't, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. They,
3: they didn't spend a lot of time developing those characters.
0: Jackie. Jackie got some good screen time. She
3: did. No one else did, though.
0: And I guess she and Bear?
3: Was that what was implied
1: by the end? It wasn't it's, is, is it's that, such that a significant.
3: Is that what you thought? By the
0: last scene, it made it sure made me think that. But. See, saying goodbye to his mom.
1: To have something that would be that significant in a soap opera sort of setting, that we're just not even going to bother. Like, it's just not the point. <laughs> Life goes on. Everybody's probably going to have sex with everybody else at some point in this small community. <laughs> you know? wow, Mark, (laughs) you just went there, huh? Any significant things that you felt like, you know, here's one, one that I really liked. They go to a cultural center and the people who are putting on the sort of performance of celebrating native culture, who I guess are not from around the, anyway, they're, you know, they're doing things that are sort of the right things to do to celebrate, but it's, so cringe inducing and so cheesy. And the kids are just a little dumbfounded by the whole thing. I thought that was a great juxtaposition.
3: That was in the second season, right?
0: Yeah.
2: That was real funny. And I guess most pointedly, a kind of a joke about how like attempts to, I don't know, what are you doing? Honoring, valuing, like promoting native American culture. They're enforced from a kind of central authority or from like a well-meaning institutional authority. Just, comes across as ridiculous to people who properly belong there. It was incredibly absurd. Did we get the, what was the joke about, I mean, the joke about the, the woman who was giving the, the lectures is that she she wasn't authentically native at all, or like hard, hardly. She was from California, I think, Sarah Lynn, and that was, I think that was the joke. What was the other guy's deal?
1: I don't remember. I see the name of the
2: were episode influencers was... Influencers or something? Yeah, they were both social media influencers because the guy had been DMing
1: them. right. Right, decolonization is the name of the episode. <laughs> so, right, <laughs> yes, these attempts to intellectualize the experience. So, putting that together with the character cheeses giving his pronouns whenever he meets anybody, that this is sort well, of. I was
2: going to say because the show the show's not hostile to identity politics, take on on imperialism, and colonization, and all the rest of it because. Isn't it cheese in, in in that episode who says one of them, one of them says oh, he asked them what they mean by decolonization and they give a like a crappy answer. And he says, no, I understand what colonization is. I'm asking why, what you did helped. Yeah. The show isn't hostile to identity politics at all, but it's certainly hostile to maybe
0: just to social media influences. <laughs> as it should be. Well, as it should It's be. an acknowledgement that there are just so many damaging depictions of marginalized cultures even well-meaning ones can still be damaging
2: <laughs> i mean that's that's the target right is the history of white people trying to make this kind of show
1: before another bit was the uh, when the bear's mother runs into the uh, native fetishist guy who's like <laughs> that she sleeps with and then, uh, and then is scared off by his fetishy Tattoo. ways <laughs>
0: <laughs> this show made me laugh so hard sometimes
1: All right. Well, I guess if the only thing to do in continuing this is just... You remember this part? That was funny too. You remember that part? Yeah. All right. Then I I think that means it's time for us to stop. So any closing thoughts other than we often ask, you know, was this the right time for it to stop? Did you feel like this really
3: should have had one more year? Lawrence is saying
1: no. I'm
3: shaking my head no. To be honest, if this had been a shorter season... I would have enjoyed it more because it went from like eight episodes to 10 episodes in the last season. I love the characters. I loved hanging out with them, but the storytelling it felt a little shaggy to me, but this is a good place to end it. Like this is a good three season arc. Good show. I liked it a lot.
1: Not a bad idea when you have high school kids to actually wrap it up while they're still relatively high school kids. Reservation dogs, dogs,
0: the college years, the the next generation. no, no, this, this is all saved was... by the bell references. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I've seen every single episode of. <laughs> Me too. I
3: loved it so much. Oh my gosh! <laughs> go bayside. Go bayside.
1: We might have to have an episode. We, we can talk about that in the after talk.
3: <laughs> oh my gosh, I love a- Saved by the
1: Bell so much. Any final thoughts, Al, about this this type of thing? I mean, now I'm just thinking about
2: Saved by the Bell, which is deeply unfair because this is a great show and
3: has it been successful? Lots of people watched it. Yeah, it's been successful critically. It's been successful. Yeah, it's been successful critically. Three
2: three seasons. So let's have lots more shows like it. I think the big victory for the show is that it was interesting. It was funny. It was really sweet. It was incredibly smart. And the big selling point was just let's let some native people tell their own story without anyone else really much getting in the way. And it works incredibly well. So let's have a lot more shows like it.
1: And so, a bunch of shitty shows <laughs> following in its footsteps. <laughs> no, things are only shitty when people get in the way. We'll see. Well, thanks to all you. Thanks for listening. Yes, we'll keep going in, in the after talk if people can stick around a little bit.
2: They'll talk more about Side by
1: the Ball. It's going to be really, <laughs> really, really interesting. Oh, my gosh. So long, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. You can also now get all the bonus content directly through Apple Podcasts by signing up for a paid subscription there, which gets you ad-free episodes and extra talking not only for Pretty Much Pop, but also for my other podcasts, Nakedly Examined Music and Philosophy Versus Improv. Pretty Much Pop is part of the...